Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20-Minute Books, we immerse ourselves in the enduring political philosophy of the 16th century, presented in The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli. This pivotal work gives us a glimpse into the mechanics of power and the underpinnings of autocratic rule. Machiavelli, a Renaissance-era politician and writer, was not just a keen observer of political dynamics, but also a shrewd strategist. The Prince was penned during a time of political upheaval in Florence, and it served as his attempted ticket back into political relevance. The Prince famously asserts that the ends justify the means, even when those means involve brutality and deceit. This cold, pragmatic perspective on leadership gave birth to the term Machiavellian, symbolizing cunning and manipulation in the pursuit of power. Our exploration is for listeners with an interest in political philosophy or history, or those intrigued by the machinations of autocratic leadership. So, dive in with us as we explore the time-tested wisdom and controversial ideas of the prince. Let's uncover what it truly means to be Machiavellian. The Prince, Machiavelli's classic text on leadership and politics. Introduction. Unlock the secrets of enduring power, no matter how high the cost. Ever found yourself baffled by the tenacity of certain autocrats, holding on to power despite flagrant human rights abuses and international law infringements? The wisdom of Machiavelli might just hold the answer attributing their enduring rule to a deft mastery of the high-stakes game of politics. This summary invites you on a journey through a 500-year-old treatise on the art of governance and the ruthless pursuit of power. You'll discover what Machiavelli suggested it takes to ascend to rule and the strategies necessary to maintain this status. You'll encounter the harsh realities of his philosophy, where the ends unashamedly justify the means, sanctioning warfare, treachery, and even acts of brutality if they secure your grip on power. Machiavelli's ideas have captivated and guided politicians ranging from Benjamin Franklin to Napoleon. After exploring this summary, don't be surprised if you spot traces of Machiavellian tactics being employed by modern politicians as well. Throughout this summary, you'll delve into the formidable challenges Alexander the Great would have faced in trying to control France, even if he had conquered it. The fascinating ways in which the much-vaunted cruelty of Hannibal became an asset to his career as a military leader. The tactical advantage of defining your relationships with those around you as either true friendship or outright enmity, with no room for the in-between. Part 1. Navigating the Treacherous Waters of Newly Acquired Territories Lessons for a Shrewd Prince Picture yourself as a prince of the Renaissance, having just added a fresh territory to your dominion. The people view you as an unwelcome intruder, an alien entity imposing your rule. How do you win over the populace and ensure your reign endures? First and foremost, make the new land your home. Living amongst your new subjects not only makes them feel valued, but also deters potential adversaries from mounting attempts to seize the territory. But what if you can't relocate? Send in a colony from your original land. Having your own people integrate into the new principality 
ensures the inhabitants gradually adopt your customs and norms, effectively assimilating into your rule. Another indispensable rule is keeping an eye out for potential rivals and taking steps to guard against them. This could mean supporting weaker leaders around your new principality, offering them protection against their formidable adversaries. In return, they'd happily align with your state, forming an alliance that could stand its ground against more powerful regional forces that might otherwise threaten your rule. Lastly, the prince should be ever watchful, vigilant of potential threats, ready to act preemptively. It's akin to dealing with ailments. Catching them in the early stages makes the cure all the more manageable. This was a tactic utilized by the Romans during their occupation of Greece, ensuring no local leader could grow influential enough to threaten their supremacy, irrespective of their loyalty to Rome. These guiding principles become palpable through the example of Louis XII of France. After a successful invasion of northern Italy, he lost control rapidly, having violated these cardinal rules. Let his fall from power serve as a lesson, a stark reminder of the delicate balance a prince must strike when ruling over a new territory. Part 2. Understanding the Terrain of Power Why some principalities are harder to conquer, yet simpler to govern, and vice versa. When Alexander the Great passed away in 323 BC, the widespread belief was that the Macedonian control over the Persian kingdom would dissolve swiftly without his formidable presence. But, surprisingly, their reign remained intact for many ensuing years. What was the secret to their enduring rule? To fathom this puzzle, we need to grasp the different structures of principalities. At one end of the spectrum, we have principalities that function under a ruler-baron model. France serves as an apt example of this setup, where the king assumes control over the nation through a network of nobles or barons, each with their unique motivations and agendas. This structure tends to generate instability in a fragmented principality, occasionally even inciting barons to challenge the authority of the king. The consequence is that these principalities, like France, are relatively easy to invade. Garner the support of a handful of influential barons, and the king's regime will falter in no time. However, you'll find yourself grappling with the same challenges in maintaining control, just like the previous ruler. On the opposite side, we find principalities that operate on a ruler-servant model. Under this system, a prince commences his rule by suppressing any potential political contenders or power wielders. As a result, all nobles are left with no choice but to rally behind the prince and his plans. This unity of purpose fortifies the nation, making it a formidable adversary to any invaders. When Alexander invaded Persia, it was operating under this latter model. King Darius had dismantled all pre-existing institutions, ensuring the loyalty of all societal leaders. Consequently, although Alexander faced stiff opposition in his conquest, this unity also meant that in the aftermath of his death, there weren't any independent rulers or regions left to instigate rebellion. This stability allowed the Macedonians to rule for many years after Alexander's demise. Which model should you choose for your principality? That's entirely up to you. Both have their strengths and pitfalls, and your decision should be guided by your specific situation and personal capability. Part 3. 
the dance of fortune and virtue, how these twin forces shape the ascension to new principalities. There's a plethora of methods a prince can employ to seize control of a principality. Brute military might, crafty diplomacy and international treaties are but a few. However, regardless of the chosen path, a successful takeover invariably hinges on a delicate balance between superior virtue and favorable fortune. Simply put, even the most virtuous of rulers needs a sprinkling of luck to harness his virtues effectively. When you capture a city or kingdom with your army, you're demonstrating a high degree of virtue, courage, moral integrity, character, and leadership. But without fortune's assistance, even these commendable virtues may fail to bear fruit. Take, for instance, Romulus, the founder of the Roman Empire. Fate led him to leave Alba as an infant, a twist of fortune that set him on the path to establishing Rome. If it weren't for this fortunate departure, Romulus may have remained a farmer, his virtue and potential as a leader never surfacing. However, the converse holds true as well. A prince bestowed with good fortune must exhibit virtue to seize this opportunity. There may be instances where your rise to power results from sheer luck rather than merit, perhaps through the support of a potent patron. In such cases, your opponents in the new principality would inevitably wield more power than your supporters. The former are driven to overthrow you, while the latter are unsure of what to anticipate from your rule. These conditions necessitate immediate, virtuous action to pave the way for enduring rule. Subjugate the nobles and establish your army. Without such precautions, your fleeting fortune may dissolve, leaving you vulnerable to a swift downfall. From these insights, it becomes clear that to ascend to a principality, one must rely on a symbiotic relationship between fortune and virtue. Absent virtue, the sheen of fortune fades quickly. Without fortune, even the most profound virtues may prove futile. Part 4. The Divergent Paths to Princedom The Cruel Strides of Wickedness versus the Gentle Sway of Popular Support The year was 317 BC. Agathocles, hailing from humble beginnings as a potter's boy, mustered an army of mercenaries and seized the city of Syracuse in Sicily. Despite promising to respect the city's democratic constitution, Agathocles eliminated 10,000 adversaries and crowned himself a tyrant. This tale serves as a stark reminder that power can be attained through devious means. Deception and ruthless ambition can secure your rule over a principality, despite the fact that such treachery and violence towards your subjects hardly reflect virtuous conduct. However, the effective application of cruelty is a subtle art. If an act of cruelty is essential to assume power, it must be swift and decisive. The initial outrage from the populace will eventually subside if you steadily reduce your violent actions, thereby placating the masses. Agathocles adopted this approach, enabling him to maintain his hold over power. On the other hand, it's imprudent to commence your rule with cautious restraint, only to gradually amplify your cruelty. Although Agathocles rose to power through wickedness, it's not the sole path to power. An alternative route is to protect and serve your citizens, thereby securing their loyalty and support. In this scenario, as a prince, your primary obligation is to ensure the prosperity and well-being of your citizens, 
convincing them to rally behind your reign. The definition of prosperous varies based on the citizens' previous experiences. For instance, if they've been subjugated as slaves, even liberation might seem like a significant improvement. The ultimate aim is to instill a sense of indebtedness in your citizens towards your leadership. This sentiment increases their likelihood of supporting your reign, even during tough times. However, if your rule is marred by constant fear, this sense of gratitude will be absent. Although employing cruelty might be an expedient path to power, convincing the populace to stand by you offers a more enduring reign. Each tactic possesses its unique challenges and rewards, and choosing the appropriate path hinges on your circumstances and personal disposition. Part 5. The Indispensable Role of Military Mastery in Princely Rule Diplomacy may hold its merits, but when cornered, an unarmed individual is inevitably at the mercy of an armed adversary. Drawing from this truism, mastering the art of war emerges as a critical aspect of achieving and maintaining a princely status. Indeed, it plays a pivotal role in laying claim to your domain initially. Most princes owe their principalities to victorious campaigns of war. Yet, the importance of martial prowess doesn't wane during times of peace. Staying battle-ready is critical to preserving your dominion against potential threats. Additionally, the strength of your army significantly influences the society you aim to build. Without a formidable military force, even the most effective laws and institutions would fail to hold ground. Given the indispensable role of warfare in preserving power, continual preparation for war, both for you and your army, is crucial. Ensure your army remains fit for combat and your personal, physical and mental faculties are war-ready. Even leisure activities like hunting could serve as military exercises. Scan the landscape during your expeditions and contemplate strategic advantages offered by the terrain for defensive warfare. Bolster your preparations by drawing lessons from past masters of warfare. Most exceptional commanders have diligently studied the strategies of their forerunners. Alexander the Great learned from Achilles, while Caesar emulated Alexander's tactics. While effective civil leadership is paramount during peacetime, the volatility of fortune mandates vigilance against impending war. Your power rests securely only when you and your army are prepared for all eventualities. Part 6. The secret to securing your principality. Rely on local armies, not mercenaries or auxiliary forces. What unifying thread connects the Romans, Spartans, and Swiss in the annals of history? Each of these civilizations possessed well-armed citizenry, enabling them to enjoy centuries of independence and freedom. This historical truth imparts a vital lesson for a prince. Only indigenous armies can offer effective defense for principalities, mercenaries, independent troops serving purely for monetary gain, are fundamentally unreliable. They lack personal investment in your state's survival, and their loyalty remains precarious. In the face of enemy onslaught, they may choose to flee rather than risk their lives for a paycheck. Thus, they bleed your resources during peacetime with their hefty wages while enabling your adversaries to plunder you in war. Even if fortune blesses you with a competent mercenary commander who shows initial loyalty, he might eventually realize his power to overthrow you using his troops. The bitter repercussions of depending on mercenaries are vividly demonstrated in Italy's history 
during the 15th and 16th centuries. The country suffered invasion and conquest at the hands of French kings Charles and Louis, as well as Ferdinand of Aragon, when mercenaries proved ineffective. A prince might also err gravely by relying on auxiliary forces from allied princes for protection. Once these foreign troops set foot in your domain, you might never regain full control. One such example is the Greeks inviting 10,000 Turkish soldiers to guard them against neighbors. Once the conflict was resolved, the Turkish forces refused to leave, resulting in centuries of Turkish occupation in Greece. The bottom line is, auxiliary forces invariably spell doom, regardless of the war's outcome. If they suffer defeat, your principality falls. If they triumph, they may refuse to leave, and you become enslaved in your own land. The most effective means of safeguarding your principality lies in cultivating a loyal army composed of your citizens. Their loyalty to you and the principality provides a more robust defense than mercenaries or auxiliary troops ever could. Part 7. Walking the Tightrope. Striking a balance between magnanimity and thrift as a prince. As you ascend to the throne of a prince, the expectations from you undergo a significant transformation. The traits you held as a citizen now hold the potential to impact the stability of your principality profoundly. What were once personal qualities now become attributes of your leadership, influencing public sentiment. This new reality introduces an intriguing complexity. Traits considered positive for a citizen might lose their appeal when personified by a prince. Take, for instance, generosity. While a bountiful citizen is usually well-received, Building a reputation for generosity as a ruler isn't a simple feat. To satisfy your subjects' expectations, doling out what you can afford isn't enough. Instead, you'll need to continually shower them with gifts and benefits, a practice that would swiftly deplete your treasury. To finance this generosity, heavy taxation becomes inevitable, thereby negating any goodwill fostered by your magnanimity. Therefore, the wisdom for a prince lies in finding the middle ground between generosity and frugality. Leverage. Generosity to win power, especially in dominions where citizens have a say in the choice of prince. Caesar's ascension to the Roman throne demonstrates this strategy. He lavished wealth on public spectacles and provision of bread, thereby winning popular favor. Yet maintaining this level of extravagance after becoming prince is imprudent. Once ensconced in power, a prince must appear thrifty, thereby enabling a gradual increase in spending over time to fortify popularity without risking financial instability. This was the same approach adopted by Caesar. Upon securing his coveted position, he curtailed his spending to prevent depleting the empire's resources. Over the long haul, your citizens would value peace and low taxation more than lavish generosity. Consequently, being frugal with the state's funds to ensure lighter taxes might indeed be a more appealing approach than an excessive display of generosity. Part 8. Navigating the fine line, utilizing fear and avoiding hatred as a prince. Hannibal's audacious war against the mighty Roman Empire serves as an enlightening case study for a prince. A key contributor to Hannibal's military success was his fearsome cruelty such as crucifying his scouts for providing wrong directions. This ruthless behavior instilled a potent fear within his ranks, enabling the unification of his army 
during challenging events like crossing the daunting Alps. This historic episode offers a valuable lesson for a prince. When appropriately harnessed, cruelty can be a potent tool in your arsenal. Naturally, every prince aspires to be perceived as merciful and just. However, preserving his dominion and fostering unity among his citizens demands his readiness to leverage fear. Being feared proves safer for a prince than being loved. Adult experience teaches us that promises grounded in love are routinely broken. Hence, projecting an excessively merciful and loving image risks exploitation by those seeking to break laws for selfish gains. The fear of severe punishment, however, serves as a reliable deterrent. Isn't it a manifestation of mercy to maintain the safety of your streets by threatening harsh penalties for lawbreakers? Employing cruelty proves especially effective in controlling your army. Soldiers respect a degree of harshness and accept its necessity for maintaining discipline. Hannibal's triumph underscores the utility of cruelty. However, while cruelty can be harnessed as a tool, it's crucial to avoid crossing the threshold into outright hatred. Striking the right balance is key. Avoid unjustly punishing innocent citizens or arbitrarily confiscating their property and women. Such actions risk inciting rebellion and destabilizing your rule, contrary to your initial intent. To prevent your people from conspiring against you, strive to keep them content, albeit moderately fearful. Part 9. Embracing the Cunning Fox. The Art of Strategic Deception and Alliance-Making for a Prince. Ask a prince which animal they identify with, and the lion, emblematic of brute strength, would likely be the common response. While a lion's might is indisputable, a prince should not overlook the advantageous cunning of a sly fox. Imitating the fox is particularly useful when it comes to keeping promises. A prince doesn't always need to remain true to his word. Admittedly, Integrity is a crucial virtue for leaders, given that laws and agreements form the bedrock of state institutions. However, much like the crafty fox, there are moments when you should cast aside principles for personal advantage. Suppose a rebel leader is causing disturbances. Wouldn't it be pragmatic to extend an olive branch for peace talks, only to eliminate him swiftly? This strategy would neatly resolve your problem. If your conscience protests, recall that in all likelihood, others would also forsake their promises to you if it serves their interests. Just ensure that your deceptive side remains hidden from the public gaze. You can be scheming and deceitful, but it's crucial to project an image of good faith, adhering to religious and humanitarian norms. There is one realm, though, where your word must remain unwavering, foreign alliances. If two other principalities are at odds, swiftly pick a side and remain steadfast. Hesitation or apparent indecisiveness is the worst strategy. The victorious side would deem you a foe for your lack of overt support and turn on you next. Having clear allies and enemies lends predictability to your own situation, compelling you to act decisively. A proficient prince is always a definite friend or foe to other princes leaving no room for ambiguity. Part 10. Mustering an Advisory Army, a Prince's Guide to Selecting and Managing Advisors. Even the greatest leaders in history have relied on advisors at certain points. No single individual can claim mastery over all spheres. 
Hence, the manner in which a prince chooses and interacts with his advisers offers valuable insights into his leadership acumen. The caliber of your advisers reflects upon you, the prince. You possess the best understanding of your areas of knowledge deficiency. Therefore, the onus is on you to exercise prudent judgment in selecting the most apt advisers and ministers. After finalizing your choice, maintaining healthy relationships with your ministers becomes paramount to ensure their commitment to your cause. Keep a vigilant eye on their actions. If a minister appears to be prioritizing his own interests over yours, it's time to show him the door. Conversely, those displaying unwavering loyalty must be recognized and compensated with a generous salary, sufficient to deter them from hatching clandestine schemes. Additionally, a prince must master the art of eliciting advice. Your advisors should feel confident that you value their candid opinions and won't retaliate for their honesty. If they fear punishment for truth-telling, all you'll hear will be insincere flattery and an embellished version of reality, crafted solely to enhance the advisor's standing. Alarm bells should ring if someone seems reluctant to voice their thoughts, as they're likely concealing something. However, there is such a thing as too much openness to advice. If you permit unrestricted access for everyone to freely voice their opinions, your decisions will soon come under scrutiny. Make it clear that you hold the prerogative to decide when to seek advice, and that unsolicited counsel is unwelcome. Part 11. Seize the Day The importance of action and preparation in shaping a prince's destiny. After absorbing volumes of counsel on princehood, you might conclude that it all boils down to destiny, the whims of fortune, and the decree of God. However, that's not entirely accurate. You possess the power to steer your future. God bestowed us with free will, suggesting that he intended us to have some control over our destinies. It's safe to assume that while half our future lies in the hands of fate, we can mold the remaining half with our actions. Indeed, fortune significantly impacts a prince's success. However, you can cushion yourself against its volatile swings. If you've basked in the sunshine of prosperity due to favorable fortune, gear up for when the clouds roll in. Consider your fortune as a river that has flowed serenely for years, nurturing your fields into fertile greenery. As a wise leader, you must erect protective dikes against possible future floods. That way, even if your fortune metamorphoses into a devastating flood, you'll bear the brunt without being swept away. Despite your best efforts, it's unrealistic to prepare for every fortune spin. Some are simply unpredictable. So instead of perpetually attempting to predict the future to prepare for it, strive to boldly shape it. History testifies that impetuosity often triumphs over caution. For instance, take Pope Julius II, who decided to wage war against Bologna. Instead of waiting for his allies' approval, he launched an immediate attack on the city. His swift action took Venetia and France by surprise, rendering their opposition ineffective. The campaign was a smashing success. According to Machiavelli, one should approach fortune as a woman who needs to be compelled into submission. She prefers her master to be a fiery young man, rather than a careful overthinker. Final summary, crux of the book. Being a prince, mercy or cruelty, honesty or deception are all at your disposal. 
provided they fortify your principality and reign. When it comes to acquiring and preserving power, there are no off-limit strategies. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.